Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. Well, good morning. Hey, it's great to see you. Hey, we are in week five, I believe, of our story series, and we hope that it has been helpful to you. It has certainly been impactful for us, and we have loved the fact that you have shared your stories in response to the stories that have been shared, which is the whole point. The whole point of this series is how stories have a way of resonating and how they have a way of connecting and drawing in and identifying and encouraging and inspiring, and then how those stories parallel with that of the scripture. And then how our stories play into the greater narrative of the gospel. So we're so excited that you are with us this morning. And I want to introduce to you Jake and Jess Connor. Jake and Jess, share with us your story. So I had the opportunity to do this in the first service. Um, I feel, I don't know, I feel like there's more pressure here because I feel emotional about it, but I feel like there's people here in this service that are actually walking through probably a lot of this. And so if I get emotional, I'm not normally emotional, just bear with me. But in October of 2015, Jake and I were married after four years of dating. Um, We were both raised in church. Jake attended here. I grew up going down the road. Um, During our dating time and our first year of marriage, we would go between the two churches but never established a home church. So um, our first year of marriage was very struggling. So we were living our lives together, but we were both very much in a selfish state of mind. So we did a lot of traveling, a lot of great things from what it looked like. I think we all can say we've posted social media pictures that are beautiful and wonderful, but nobody's gonna air their, not everyone's gonna air their dirty laundry. Um, But behind those pictures that you see are a lot of arguments, a lot of horrible things being said, um, not living a life that we should have been living, but also a lot of lack of love and respect for one another. In 2016, it was our one year anniversary, so we went on a cruise. By the end of that cruise, we had decided we were coming home to either get divorced or we had to get some kind of help. At that point, we decided we needed to pick a home church, so we chose Mountain Zion for numerous reasons. Um, But a specific service that we remember attending, um, Pastor Luke was preaching. Pastor Keith was the lead pastor at the time and had had a procedure that week and was supposed to preach but couldn't. And so um, something that stood out to us specifically about that service was the mention of a slow fade. Things never happen overnight. They're a daily trend of declining. So I don't know if many people know Jake, but he is an extrovert. He's kind of hyper sometimes. He's kind of always on the move. And I'd never seen him sit as still as he did that day. Um, As worship resumed at the end of service, he had tears just streaming down his face and he bolted to the altar. So I quickly followed him and, you know, we, we prayed together. We sent our apologies to one another because we were both failing one another. We had fallen short of our vows that we'd made. Um, so we knew that this was our first step to healing. And then we started doing some counseling sessions with Pastor Luke. And as we unfolded all of our dirty laundry to him, he said, oh, you too? Me too. 
And that was something that stood out to me because I'd always felt so alone in our journey and in our struggle that you just feel like you're the only ones going through it. Um, so Jake and I both had set forth that day to be very vulnerable and very open and very authentic as possible with people. Now, again, this was not an overnight change, but through this journey, we were able to develop and cultivate many friendships that obviously are going to be lifelong for us. Those friendships that they tell you what you need to hear, but maybe don't want to hear, the ones that become your community. Um, we had to learn to live at God, with God at the center of our lives. Every decision, um, every plan, we had to focus it on what, that of what his would have been. At the same one year mark, um, we stopped trying to prevent from having children, so we thought we would try to grow our family. Another year passes, we have not conceived. I grow very depressed, very angry. I have a significant amount of jealousy. Um, Jake and I never intended to stay in the origin, our first home, um, our whole marriage. So we had planned on moving at some point. And at that point, I went to him and I said, we need to move. We need to sell our house. I need to have something different to focus on. Um, I was consuming myself with all the baby goods and pregnancy tests and all these things. And it's just, it was very unhealthy. So um, we sold our house in a couple of days and we moved in with my in-laws. And during that time, I applied for my master's program. And we actually had decided we would seek out some doctor's advice, maybe figure out maybe why we're not conceiving. And so we had lots of testing done, all proving to be normal until my very last test, um, which was an ultrasound, and it showed a um, softball-sized cyst in my ovary. Um, this was hemorrhagic, and it needed to be removed fairly quickly, um, but this is one site of protection God had over us. Not only the lack of conception because our marriage needed to grow, but two, because had I conceived, there's a chance this cyst could have ruptured, hemorrhaging, and causing a significant amount of bleeding. So we had surgery, and my ovary was saved. Um, at this point, I'd also been accepted to college for my master's degree, and um, we actually got a house, a couple houses down from Jake's mom and dad. So um, through that summer, we were able to remodel that as I prepared to go to school. But during that time, we also really got involved in church. We really delved ourselves in and surrounded ourselves with the people that would uplift us and lead us on the life that we needed to live, but that we had also chosen at that point we wanted to live. Um, so through that time, we grew closer together a lot. And I'll let you elaborate. Yeah, and I just want to elaborate on the getting involved in church. Yeah, I'm sure you've been here several times and we're always trying to Get you to hey get plugged in you know find a find a group find a study uh, help volunteer and and I know it don't really sound appealing but the the people that you gain in your lives and relationships you get those are the people that show up when your world's falling apart when you when you get to develop a relationship with these people by sweating beside of them and working with them and I just can't I just can't begin to tell you the the, the transformation that's made in our lives by just being involved in the church. Uh, Looking from the outside in, you think, what good can I do? I'm coming to Sunday. I'm getting what I need. But you've got to get involved. And I, we've seen that. And uh, I, can't, I can't begin to name all the people in this room that has affected our lives. I, I, you'd be here for a while. Mm -hmm. So thank you to, to, to those that have invested so much in us. 
So as I started school, obviously we still had not had children. Um, but that time we were able, no, not only was I able to go to school and be very successful, thankfully, but also we had the opportunity to be there for people who were going through a lot of the really crucial times in their lives. And I don't feel like I could have adequately have been there, Jake neither, if we had children. Um, this time that we'll always cherish. Um, we were able to travel, but we were also given time together that we were unaware at the time that we even needed. We needed to cultivate communication. We needed to grow in all of our trust in one another. Um, I just want to reflect on a short time. It was right after Christmas, and Jessica and I both woke up at about 3.30 in the morning, and I woke up and turned to my right, and I said, are you up? She said, yeah, I'm wide awake, and I said, let's, let's go ahead and get up, and we didn't have anything to do the next day, so let's go ahead and get some coffee going, but we were, do we were both just heavy burdened, just at the wits end, just um, just been through a lot, you know, um, and so we, we went in our living room, and we prayed, and I said, you know what, I said, I feel like the Lord wants us to just get a piece of paper and write down all the good things on one side that he's done and all the bad things on the other. Well, the good things, we ran out of paper, and the bad things, it was maybe three, and so Sometimes when you're in the moment and you're, you're, in the, you're just in the, the mess, you can only focus on the one or two or three things, but you forget about the 9,872.4 things that the Lord's doing for you right now that's for your good. And sometimes you just need to take a moment and reset and get out a piece of paper and write it down. So that's just something that we both felt led to do, and it just made a huge impact on our lives. And I'd like to say we've had a lot of like small moments throughout this whole journey like we've been married seven years now and if we sat here and told you all the small things where God was we'd be here all day um, but so towards the end of school um, we considered okay let, let's try something different now maybe we'll take some medicine maybe that'll help us with conceiving so we went back to the doctor and they did require for us to get retested and so again everything was looking pretty normal no scientific reason to why we had not conceived um, except I did appear to look like I was going into early menopause at 30. So that's kind of devastating because you can't change, prevent, or benefit, like better that in any way. So we were sent to a specialist. We did a round of IUI, which is a less invasive but still some contraceptive assistance. Um, we had the long two-week wait, and it was unsuccessful. So I personally struggled greatly through this. Um, I struggled in the first year and then now I'm struggling again. So depression, um, lack of understanding, and begging God to not let us be the people that he used. I know that's a bold prayer, but I've literally prayed for God to pass the cup for me. I did not want to be the person that he used to advance his kingdom. Let me be normal. Let me get pregnant. Let me just live my normal life. Um, so I even had an episode where I was in the car and crying, maybe a little screaming. And I told God, like, you love me, but why does it hurt so bad? Because I think anybody would say that we know that the Lord loves us. In our brain, we can mentally say, okay, I've been told this my whole life. Yeah, he loves me. But boy, it sure does hurt. <laughs> so as I struggled with this, Jake was really great. And um, 
helped me to find a counselor so I could help work through some of these emotions and my uh, frustrations. And so after several visits, um, one of them ended and I had decided and determined that it was time to take down the nursery that we'd set up when we remodeled our house. Um, I had, it was probably not the healthiest choice that I had done that. So we turned it into our guest room. And over the following two months, we prayed, Lord, do you want us to even have children? Do you want us to have our own? Do you want us to foster, adopt? We we're very open. Whatever God wanted us to do, we'll do it. Like we were gung-ho, whatever. Well, we never received a sticky note under the door. But we'd also, in hindsight, realize we'd placed constraints on what the Lord would even do in our lives or what his capability of doing was. Um, so two months after taking down the nursery, on October the 20th, or excuse me, October 2020, four years of infertility, we received a call while celebrating our five-year wedding anniversary of a family emergency. And we were in Utah. You want to elaborate on that? Yeah. Uh this, this, this trip was a trip of a lifetime. It was very spontaneous, and I was looking at going out and renting a van and driving out in the middle of the, the West and just seeing all the parks, and I said, hey, Jess, I think we should do it. She's like, we'll do it, and I'm always a planner. She said, just book it, so we booked it, and so we, we flew out there with a van uh, and rented a toilet as well to go inside of it, and uh, that's all we had was a bed and a toilet and a little mini camp stove, and we spent 10 days, one of, just us two, uh, and was just living our best life, seriously. We, we got up every morning, and we, we prayed together, and we ended the, the day praying together, and it was, it was amazing, uh, the, the, times, the times that we made and just the memories we made. And, and, and so it was just one of those trips that, you know, I, thought, I was praising God for how close I was with her, and it was at one of those moments in my life that I realized how thankful I was. So that was the, that was the trip where she's talking about. And one thing that about that trip was so i remember speaking to jake's dad on the phone and the first thing we did we hiked to angel's landing and if you don't know what angel's landing is there is a youtube video and it's very death defying um i do not recommend it necessarily i recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> but you're literally climbing a drop off on each side of you with chains well my hands are sweaty um, getting dizzy and lightheaded because I'm probably hyperventilating. I'm yelling at the people to, behind me to just like, chill out, okay? Just give me a minute. Um, but after I did that, you know, I told Jake's dad that, that was the scariest and hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. Until um, we made a split-second decision to come home um, and had made a very quick decision to... Um, welcome our now daughter into our home. Um, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know what the journey would look like. There was no plan. There was just a lot of, you know, taking it step by step. But she's been one of the greatest blessings in our life. She has taught us more than I could ever thought I would learn. Um, and, and I just want to say this too. I never knew what it was like to have children and I never knew what it was like to love so hard but she wrecks me, and, sorry, but when you have children, you just, you learn to love even harder, and in that, and it's twofold, I learned to love her that much harder, and, you know, the Lord, the Lord showed me that, so I had to share that. And 
So again, I talked to you about my community. There are people in my life that have shared with me the things that God's doing when I can't see it. And God was very much preparing a place for her in our home before we knew she'd be coming. So that two months prior, when we took down that nursery and we prepared that guest room, it was for her and we had no idea. So fast forward two years. So this month, 2022, um, we, had made the decision earlier this year that we would maybe try to grow our family again. Um, so now we are hopeful to be expecting our second child through IBF. Um, it's still a journey, we're still going through it, but I had set up every wall, every excuse to not take this journey. Um, I was worried about having too many embryos that would be thrown away. I was worried about having to make a choice if we knew it was a boy or a girl. We longed for a boy, but we didn't want to make that choice. We wanted to leave um, God's plans to him, not ourselves. Uh, so of all of that, we had one surviving embryo, and they collected the cells. They sent them off, and they were able to tell us that it was normal, and it was healthy, and that it was a baby boy. So now he resides in his womb and hopes to stay there and to grow and to flourish. And um, we hope to be good parents and for a great big sister to lead and guide him to know the Lord early. Um, I, I didn't say this previously, but you know, for a long time I thought children would be great and dress them up, you can make them cute, all these great things. And then as you go through this journey of infertility, you're like, well, what is the purpose? What's the purpose of children? It's not for my pleasure, it's not for my gain. All things that we do, including your children, are for the advancement of God's kingdom. So if nothing else is learned, if I'm like the biggest butt in the world, as long as they know that Jesus loves them and that they are to advance his kingdom, then I've done my job. Um, but we know that even though today we are hopeful, um, this still may not be the Lord's plan for us, and that's okay. Um, we have learned that through all this, God's plans are so much greater and that he does work all things for the good of those that love him. I've had a great husband who's been, his faithfulness in the Lord has allowed him to be very encouraging. Um, he's kind of been our strong hope whenever mine is not there. But I will say, when I'm weak, you're strong. It's, it's, it's definitely not all me, but... We've had a lot of help from our village and also, most importantly, our father. Yeah. So m most of this story is a lot more from my perspective than his, but we are aware that there are still storms to come, so we're just waiting, and we're ready for whatever will be the next thing. Well, as you, Luke, as you say, Luke, the, the Bible promises trouble. It don't promise us happiness, so, but we're ready. In closing, Jake, uh, what is a word of encouragement and what is a challenge that you would leave us with this morning? Uh, a challenge that I have and I challenge myself daily is to be uncomfortable. No one ever got anything done with being comfortable. You know, and, and I'm, I'm guilty sometimes of, uh, I don't want to do that, but I need to. So just get uncomfortable and, and be willing to accept, uh, to accept what's coming. You know, I... I, I prayed some prayers that were scared. I was scared because I knew that the Lord was going to show me, and He and He does, and and I trust I trust in Him. And then also, words of encouragement. 
just know that he's sovereign and that he is good and he's still the same God he is now as he was 2,000 years ago. And just don't forget how much he loves you. Can we show our appreciation to Jake and Jess this morning? Would you bow your heads with me? Hey, Father, thank you for your love and for your mercy and for your presence. And God, we are thankful that you are good and that you were present. And Father, we thank you for the story that was shared today and for the way it resonated with everyone who heard it in some way, in some, some shape, some form. And Father, we now pray that through the revealing of your word that you will guide us to a place of understanding, that you would reveal in us the things that you would have us know and do. And Father, would you give us the strength to do them? We pray this in your name. And all God's people say, Amen. We're going to be in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. But before we get there, at Mount Zion, uh, and, and I reminded Jake and Jess this when they, they first came to see me, that our mission is, is a shared mission with, with every church, and that is to advance the gospel, to, to bring the, the broken to the Redeemer to bring the lost into the one that can, can save and to God and to heal, to reach the nations, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach the ways and the rhythms of Christ Jesus. The way that Mount Zion accomplishes that is that we, we help you understand and to identify that there is an invitation for you to take hold of an invitation to step into life, the life that God has for you. And what does that life look like? In John chapter 10, verse 10, we see the strategy of the enemy and we see the promise of the Father. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this, that the thief, this is the enemy, this is Satan, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy your hope, your confidence, your identity, your peace, your satisfaction. In other words, his desire is to steal your life. The life that God has for you, his desire for you, the enemy wants to steal it. And the literal translation, the Greek, it says the thief's purpose to only, that is his only desire, that is his only purpose, that is his only mission. Yet the father his purpose is to give you a rich and a satisfying life. The literal translation there in the Greek, it is abundant or full. My question for you this morning is, is, what, is what is your life full of? I, I know it's, it's, it's full of events. Your calendar's full if your calendar looks like my calendar because we live in a culture and in a time in which we are experience rich, but we are often relationally poor, meaning that we have a lot of what Jess referred to, we have a lot of pictures that we post on Instagram and on social media. We have a lot of experiences. But when our world falls apart, our relationships with our community, as Jake said, with our village, with Christ Jesus, it's always... Oftentimes, 
It's less than picturesque. I know that your mind is full of, of anxious thoughts, of guilt, of shame, condemnation, which is what Christ came to set us free from. So how do we step into the life that God has for us? In other words, how do we step into a life that is full, abundant, rich, satisfying? Last week, we, we left with this question, and it was a challenge, that sometimes God will heal relationally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, he will miraculously, supernaturally heal us. But what about those times where he says, not now, not yet? And we said that God will always give us, as in the case of Paul, a supernatural strength. Supernatural strength to do the, the wise, the smart, the holy, the good things. And you should have left that moment saying, but how? It's when I go to the doctor and they say, Luke, your blood pressure's too high. Are you experiencing any form of stress? And I say, of course I am. And they say, oh, you gotta ruthlessly eliminate that. And you know what I say? How? How? I got a 12-year-old, a nine-year-old, and an 18-month-old. I, I lead a church in, in a season of uncertainty. How do I eliminate stress from my life? And, and then the doctor will lay out some terms that we agree upon. And guess what? They work, but only if I do them. But guess why I don't often do them? Because they're hard to do. It's hard things. I was watching a documentary recently about a mountain climber. And he climbed these mountains by himself and he had experienced tremendous loss of friends. He had experienced tremendous loss in family, relationally, because he was so dedicated to the sport and to the discipline. So the interviewer, he leaned in and he asked the question, why? Why do you sacrifice so much? Why do you give up so much? And the mountain climber said, well, it's obvious, me, obvious to me that you've never climbed a mountain. It's obvious to me that you've never stood at the peak of a mountain because if you had, you wouldn't be asking me those questions. Now, Jesus he climbed a mountain. In Matthew chapter five, verse one, the word of the Lord says, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticing him, they, the committed, they climbed with him. And the question that we have to ask this morning, if we are going to have the life that God has for us, are you willing to go higher with Christ? Are you willing to climb with Jesus? As Jake revealed, it's not easy because everything worthwhile, it is always uphill. I want you to notice that not everyone journeyed with Christ. Some stayed by the lake. Why? Why did some not climb the mountain? Because by the lake, it's comfortable. By the lake, 
You hear the, the children laughing. You see people fishing. You see people out enjoying their boats. There's a nice breeze. The sun is shining. You can have a picnic by the lake. A lot of people within the sound of my voice this morning, you have settled for less than the life that God has for you in regards to your marriage, to your finances, to your health physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, because you have stopped climbing to Christ. You have become comfortable. You have become settled. Some people that day, they never heard the message of Christ about the abundant life. They were never given privilege that if you believe and if this occurs and if you do, you will live a life apart from guilt, apart from shame, apart from judgment. Why? Because proximity always leads to transformation. We have talked about this for several weeks now, but my desire and God's desire for you, my desire as your pastor and God's desire as your Lord is that you will place him at the center of your life, at the center of your marriage, at the center of your relationships, at the center of your emotional, physical, relational health that you will place him at the center of all that you do and all that you say, and that daily you will wake up and you will say, what are the decisions that will draw me closer to the center? And in the words of Paul, if it doesn't bring me closer, get me more of Christ, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't know what's going on with my mic. All right, we'll try it again here. What is it that is bringing you closer to Christ? And the first principle that we learn is we have to make an effort to spend time with Jesus. Before the Beatitudes were ever mentioned, he climbed the hillside and scripture says that the committed, they ventured with him, they journeyed with him because everything worthwhile is always uphill. If marriage were easy, everyone would have a great marriage and there would be no divorce. If managing your finances and financial security, if it were easy, everyone would have financial peace and financial security. If relationships and parenting and working, if it was easy, then we would all do it well and we would all experience the blessings of it. But it's not easy, is it? It's all uphill. It's all a daily choice of making good, right, wise, and holy decisions. And if it's not good, if it's not wise, if it's not right, and if it's not holy, we choose to take a different path. It is God's power, but whose cooperation? Your cooperation. Hope, in other words, is not a method. We hope that our marriage will get better, but we're unwilling to take the steps towards marital health. 
by going counseling, by reading books, by being transparent, by owning the season and the place where you are. We just hope that supernaturally it'll get better. We hope to become better parents. We hope to become more skilled workers. We hope, but hope is not a method. It is God's power and humanity's cooperation that produces health. Myla, the other day we were sitting out in the lobby. Ava was feeding her and she was feeding her portions that was too big for her to chew and to digest. So she, she started choking and I said, Ava, you got to break it up better. Don't give her su such big portions. And Ava's response was, she can do all things in Christ Jesus who gives her strength. And I said, that is not what that means. That is out of context. God gave you a mind. He gave you wisdom to do good, right, and holy things. So why do people follow Jesus? Why do I follow Jesus? Because everything that Jesus touches, he blesses. Everything he touches, he blesses. But God cannot bless that that is against his nature. So if we live in the gray areas of our life and we tell little white lies, or we're not honest, we're not men or women of our word, or, or we... We don't do the things that are right. We do the things that are, that, are, that are easy. We know what God's word says about living together outside of the matrimony of marriage, but, but everybody else is doing it. So, so, so we compromise that value. What God's word says is right, true, and holy. And then we bring that to the altar of marriage and we ask God to bless that that is against his nature. And then we wonder often, how do we live in so much dysfunction? Because you bring the mess of that into the beauty of this. Now, God can redeem it, but it is a much more up, steep uphill climb. It is my responsibility, through the working of the Holy Spirit, in other words, to identify in me, not the things that are in Jessica, the things that are in me that are not of God, and to ruthlessly eliminate those things through the supernatural power of God and through my submission. Picking up in verse two, arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Well, less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You are blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you, only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You are blessed when you are content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners, I love this, proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You are blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God he is good food and drink. He is the best meal you will ever eat. Scripture says that when we admit our need for God, when we come to the end of our rope, we are blessed. Why are we blessed when we come to the end of our rope? Do you know what accompanies every miracle in Scripture? 
What is a precursor, a prerequisite for every miracle that is seen and read and experienced throughout Scripture? It's not prayer. There's some people that never prayed that experienced a miracle. It's not faith. There's some people that didn't even believe in God that experienced a miracle. Do you know what the precursor was? A problem. A problem was always before a miracle. In other words, every miracle started with a problem. You have a problem this morning. How many of you are sitting beside your problem? Don't raise your hand. If you just raised your hand, you got a problem. You have a bigger problem than when you came into this room if you just raised your hand. you have a little problem this morning, then you are a candidate for a little miracle. If you have a big problem this morning, then you are a candidate for a big miracle. We oftentimes look at problems as like a curse, but it is actually fertile ground for God to show up and to show off, to reveal himself in a very, very big way. So maybe this morning when we close, we should ask the question, for those that do not have a problem, why don't you come forward and we'll pray that you get a problem so that God can be glorified and magnified through your circumstances and through your problem. Are you at the end of your rope? Do you have a problem? It reminds me of the story of, of, of the prodigal son. You remember the story of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son, the, the son desired what the father had more than he did a relationship with the father, so he asked for his inheritance. The father gave him his inheritance, and the son, he went off to a foreign land. There, the son, he squandered his money off, off sinful living and with friends, and he found himself at the end, broke at the end of his rope, no light at the end of the tunnel. He was feeding pigs. He was sleeping in a pasture, and he thought to himself, why don't I go home? I know that I, I will never be accepted as a son, but maybe I can get a bunk in the barn. Maybe I can be my father's servant because his servants actually live better than how I'm living. You see, the son, he expected a lecture. I told you so. Where's all the money? Where's all the inheritance? He expected condemnation, judgment, shame, guilt. He expected rejection. But what was missing from the son's equation? The father. Because what he found was that the father had been waiting on him, waiting for an opportunity to redeem him, to restore him, to bring him into good order, good sight. Bring me my slippers, bring me my robe, bring me my ring, because my son who was lost has been found. My son who was dead, he is now alive again. In other words, we have to allow a good God to love us through our losses. We've all experienced losses. We've all experienced brokenness. And in that moment, we can allow guilt and shame and condemnation to dictate who we are and identify us. Or we can find ourselves in the Father's embrace, speaking truth, 
I love you, I love you, I love you more than you know. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And because of this truth, we can live a life of contentment. Contentment is not found in money. It is not found in relationships. It's not found in stuff. It's not found in our resume because all of that will betray us. It'll let us down. We find our contentment with that that is the center and that we are progressively moving in that direction every single day of our lives through every decision that we make. Matthew 11, chapter 28, or verse 28 says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. In other words, we have to develop a hunger for God. We have to desire to grow in his image, in his likeness daily through every decision we make. In other words, we will medicate. We will distract. What are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? We have got to stop reaching for the temporal and we have to reach for that that is eternal. C.S. Lewis in closing, he says this, and he summarizes it so much better than I ever could. He says, hunger would be absurd if there was no such thing as food. Thirst would be absurd if there was no such thing as water. Loneliness would be absurd if there was no possibility of satisfying that yearning in relationship with another human being. You see, the desire to find God would be absurd if he did not exist. In other words, if you want to step into the life that God has for you, you have to desire God more than a healthy marriage. You have to desire God more than health in your finances. You have to desire God more than health emotionally, physically, or relationally. But instead, you have to desire God more than any of those things, placing him at the center of all those things. And when we become more like Jesus, Jesus blesses everything that he is a part of, our marriage, our finances, our relational, our physical, and our emotional health. So with every head bowed, with every eye closed, Do you have a life abundant, a life that is rich, a life that is satisfying? Have you placed Christ at the center of who you are in all that you do? And in these closing moments, I want you to take an inventory of those things that are closest and most dear to you. I want you to consider your marriage, your finances. I want you to consider your relationships. I want you to consider your physical health, your emotional health, your spiritual health. And I want you to ask the question, is Christ at the center of all of those areas? 
And if he is not, would you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in you those things that you need to eliminate from your life so that Christ can bless them and so that you can experience a satisfying and a full life. So Father God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for your presence here and now. And Father, as we take a closer look at our story and the story that you are writing in us and through us, Father, we ask that you be glorified, that you be present, that you be at the center of all things. Father, we will be certain to give you the glory for you and you alone are worthy. And all God's people say, amen. Church, would you stand to your feet as we worship together? Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.